Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people look. They're an absolute astonishment. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-
losing their gardens for cycle lanes and that seems to be a genuine fear among a lot of people uh, and there have been meetings and we were told I've not been to one we were told that some of these meetings get very heated when people discover that in order to facilitate a bus lane or facilitate a cycle lane they're going to lose a part of their front garden or they're going to lose the footpath where they've been walking for years or where their children or grandchildren have been playing or where they've been parking their car. They're going to lose all these things. So clearly, even before a shovel is swung to put these things in place, they're not going down all that well. Councillor Oliver Moran of the Green Party joins me. Would you agree with me, Oliver? They're not going well even before a shovel is swung in anger. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Um, <clears throat> there's no doubt there's huge, huge changes uh, being proposed, um, and I, 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 I agree with pretty much everything you said just there. And I know from talking to a lot of people, they are worried. Um, and I, I think part of it has been about the the, the nature of the conversation so far uh, that it, it, you know, it, it's focused on uh, you know that element of fear that people rightly or wrongly feel um, and, and less about kind of working our way through what are the, the issues here and um, and bringing that directly to the NTA. At the, at the meeting last night, I felt that there was a, a, a quite a stark difference uh, in the conversation between some councillors who, who, you know, point out the same things which, which you've just done um, and then another group of councillors who've taken a different tack uh, about arranging meetings with the NTA directly, you know, bringing residents and residents groups who, who have genuine concerns, arranging those meetings, working through the problems. And my experience, and I think I, this is reflected certainly with, with Shane O'Callaghan, and I think Mick Nugent also had similar experience, that when you, when you take these problems directly to, to the NTA, you say, look, can't take that, or you know, I, I need this for, for a certain thing, or that, that route's not going to work. That more often than not, and when I say more often than not, mm. like basically nine times out of ten, they're going to say, "Okay, we'll we'll see what what can, what can be done." And in fact, my experience and like others too who've, who've engaged them so far. And if I was I was on your your show a couple of months ago talking about York Street and, and, and other places, um, and you you know my opinion from, from 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 the very start of this is that some of this is not going to work. But this is the first of three rounds of consultation over the mm. next two years, and my feeling. Now, after having that initial, you know, initial round of criticism and saying, "Look, these guys, you know, don't seem to know what they're, what they're dealing with on the ground here," my sense of from dealing with them is that they're actually very engaging. They're really listening, yeah. um, and they will they will change the plans if you come to them with, with ideas. Because I think it has been stressed once or twice, um, possibly not loudly enough, that these initial meetings and the initial drawings and diagrams on the website, they're just. Are they an opening hand of cards, if you want, Oliver, being played by the NTA? And that we're an awful long way away from pickaxes, shovels and, and anything like that? Oh, we're very far away from pickaxes and shovels. And I think that, that needs to be stressed to people. Like pickaxes, pickaxes and shovels isn't going to happen until after 2025. And there's a lot of conversation between That's here far and away then. Because I, oh, I think you, I have to say, Oliver, and, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but certainly to my ears here, you're certainly the first individual to say that on the opinion line, that there won't be a no, shovel swung it, in anger it, until at least 2025. The, the, this, the, the, the Bus Connects plan isn't going to be actually hitting the roads until after 2025. Their period for actually building is, is between 20, 25 and 30. And bef- you know, between now and then, 
It's all conversation and everything. So there's no one going to be ripping up anybody's garden next winter? Certainly not. Definitely not. Right. Actually, next winter, uh, it's well, not next winter, after next winter, we, we'll expect a second round of, of drawings to come out. So early next spring, oh. they'll, they'll have taken all the feedback and come out with another round of drawings. And look, I was talking to colleagues in Dublin up at the weekend because, you know, they, they're a bit ahead of us in terms of bus connects. And I was, was trying to get a grip. Look, between the different stages, you know, how, how much revised are the drawings? And their clear message was they come back and they're different. And that's that's the thing that, that residents need to do. Like the, the community forums are starting this week. Uh, even if you're not going to be able to attend one of the community forums, you can get on to them directly. You can you can you can email them. Uh, there's an there's an online form where, where you, you can make your comments. Go get on to your local councillor, ask them to arrange a meeting with you if you're if you're a residents group, kind of the DNC are happy to meet with small groups and you know, put it to them what your issues are and make sure you have your say. Because look. I've had York Street, I've St. Louis Cross, St. St. Joseph's Church, places where I've had serious issues with what's being proposed, big impacts for residents around them. And in every case, they've said, okay, we'll take it away, we'll, we'll, yeah. go, we'll come back with them. Yes, I, this is going to work. I'm just quoting here from Own English. Um, he said, Mary Rose, he quotes Mary Rose Desmond, who was saying that the proposals are, are arrogant and the idea that people can make a submission, people with no background in engineering or planning. That's one thing. Uh, Councillor Derry Canty was saying that he's attended three meetings and might as well have been talking to his desk and said there'd be chaos in Ballincollig. And Councillor Colm Kelleher, uh, the former Lord Mayor, has said the design would close his tire business. So, are you saying to me, Oliver, that all of your accounts, all of the people I've just quoted, have not grasped it that we are at the first stage of a very long process? Are you saying they don't know what they're talking about? Well, what I'm saying is, it was very clear last night that there was that there was there was two sets of councillors, I believe, at, at, the, at the council meeting last night. Some of whom who have you know been engaging with the NTA and have come out with quite a positive experience, and who would have all started. We would have all started from the same place, right? We would have all started with saying this: this is lack of local knowledge. Like, you know, this isn't going to work. Or you know, some part is a problem. And some people, it would seem, have have really grasped the nettle here, taken you know the issues that the residents group have, arranged meetings, face to face time with, with the NTA, and are confident now that come round two issues will be solved. And maybe, you know, other people are, are a little bit further behind that journey. Look, it's only been a summer. Not everybody has had the opportunity to have these meetings, but certainly the people who have, who have we, we're coming out with, it, with a different feeling. All right, we'll see where it goes, Oliver. Thank you uh, very much, Councillor Oliver Moran of the Green Party. Now, I don't know if anybody else has said that publicly, but it's the first time I can ever heard it, remember it being said to me directly on the opinion line, is that there won't be a shovel brandished until at least 2025. And that these are just drawings. What you see in front of you is just a map. It's just a drawing. It's just a draft. It's just an idea of what could be done. And there are going to be two or three different rounds of consultation before we come up with a final drawing. Now, that's a new understanding for me. I don't know if it's new for you. Is it new for you, Councillor Kieran McCarthy? I mean, were you aware that this is a very, very long road? before we start touching anything like anybody's front garden. Morning. Yeah, yeah good morning, PJ. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm aware it's a long process, but I'm just, I'm not happy at all with how the process has started. As in, 
This started in early July, probably the, a week after the launch. And then some people, for example, on Douglas Road and, and elsewhere in my area, got notes in from the NTA. They were unsigned. There was no phone number attached. And then it it just took several, several weeks before further information was taken out. So people began to speak across back garden walls and there was like Chinese whispers. And, and just, I, I've, I, like I've spent the last... 10 weeks actually out on the road flaring hoses trying to give people information just that this is actually what's happening um, and I'm finding a lot of the people that I've met I mean I also hosted five public meetings um, especially around the, the whole Mangala and the, the bridge proposal over yeah. the Mangala uh, and I've just met a lot of people like who don't have the information and the NTA said yeah we'll send you out the booklets and they sent out booklets to people, we'd say, who are immediately affected by, we'd say, proposal of a culture purchase order. But we'd say the person who's just off the main road, who might be 10 metres from the main road, like, they didn't get information. Uh, and, of course, I mean, the main road is also there. We, we'd say Boring Manor Road or Douglas Road. It's also their world. Um, same with Douglas Village uh, and people on, on, on Grange Road. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I've met a lot of people and the, the sentiment out there is that we don't know about this. And so I've, I've spent 10 weeks trying to get information to people um, no, it's been, for me, it's been a very, very long summer working with Bus Connects, the amount of phone calls, the amount of emails, the amount of kind of meeting people, pounding pavements. And I went along to the Nemo Rangers meeting, and I was, I mean, the, that was for my area. Um, and the NTA did meet people in fairness to them. And I was, I was there for nine out of the 10 hours of the public consultation, meeting local people. And many, again, many local people came in. They were armed with information, but came away with very little answers. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. so that added to the frustration. So for me, it's frustration, anger, lack of communication. Communication that's, is the word that was going to jump upon. Yeah, and that's why last evening I called for a vote of no confidence in the, in, in the process. It wasn't supported by the council. I just think this has been built on lack of communication, mistrust, where we're unsure where we're going with it. And I think people deserve better than that. And, and I... I disagree with Oliver in terms of I think we are having a, fr- a frank and honest conversation on it within the council. Many councillors are up to speed on this. Not every councillor agrees that I don't agree with it. I, and it's not just taking away a piece of someone's front garden. It's a whole a whole front garden in in in, in, in some yeah. cases, yeah. The majority of cases on Douglas Road. I mean, Paige, the devil is in the detail. I mean, I've I've gone out with the plans and the roads that are affected in my area. Uh, and I've come back, to, come back shocked. And so there's an onus on me to share that information with, uh, with, 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 with the general public who didn't get the information from the NTA. Uh, and that, 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 that's shocking and that's worrying. Yeah. And that's just adding up. I mean, I, God, this, I is, this is beginning to sound like Aer Lingus cancellations, the, the level of communication going on here. It does need to improve. And I mean, this is our starting point, and we have five years before a shovel is to, to go. I mean, what's it going to be like in five years' time? Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've come out uh, also in the council chamber asking for their comms unit to step down or be replaced uh, by another comms unit, another set of people. I, I just, I'm just not happy. And I mean, Oliver mentioned the, the maps that went out. I mean, you want to be a, a geographer or a map reader to read the maps and the level of detail. I mean, I, I, I had people in my area that actually had to take out measuring tapes uh, and get, and measure out, look at the map and look at the scale and trying to figure out that, oh, it's, it's not two metres they're taking, it's 10 metres. I mean, the, on, on Douglas Road, for example, the, the CPOs vary from two metres to 20 metres. Yeah. Um, like PJ, I can bring you out and walk the road, which you can get a sense of. They oh, want to Kieran, turn I, I, I've, I've spoken there. to enough people who, myself, who, who are worried and they say, look, you know, losing my front garden to a bus lane, I don't like that idea. I don't want anything to do with that. That's 
a genuine feeling that people have. And yes, I, I wanted to give Oliver his say and say, look, this is not something that's going to start in the morning. And yes, it's important that we know that. It's not something that's going to start tomorrow or indeed tomorrow week. But you are making an equally important point. Well, if the communication at this stage is as as bad as people say it is, well, we're not we're not starting from a good fitting good fit footing, are we? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's my that's my principal point, and it's the principal point I've made in the council chamber, chamber now several times. Uh, I'm, ju- I'm just I'm just not happy with it, and it's just adding to people just being upset on the ground, and, and people are upset because of this lack of information. And now they have the information, and I mean I've had people ringing me during the summer going, "Oh, should I cancel my summer holidays and just go just work on this?" and um, I mean, it came out like these, these consultation meetings were in the middle of July when people were away, were away on holidays, and I had people know who are ringing me like as they've come back from holidays in the last yeah. two or three weeks, kind of going, "What's the setup with this?" And would I be right in thinking that when they were organised so quickly, it made it look more urgent than it actually is? So people began to panic a bit. Yeah, but it just looked again incompetent in their communication plan it, it, it looks like yeah we, we need to do this as soon as possible instead of waiting till September I mean okay. if this is a seven or eight year project why can't we wait till the proper times um, like people do go away in holidays it was the first time in two years like right. since Covid there was, no one, there was no one around in July and August you want to be trying to get people to talk on a radio programme there was no one around in July <laughs> yeah, or yeah, August yeah, yeah. yeah. Kieran, can I just ask you one more thing because you were with me last week about the collapsed key wall or the endangered key wall at Southgate Bridge. You did, as you said you would, you brought it up. What happened? Yeah, I kind of had to push for an answer. I mean, they're, they're certainly liaising with the person who owns the uh, the car park there on private land, so they're seeking urgent engagement from, from them to fix up the key wall. Uh, I didn't kind of push the question, well, what if the key wall collapses and kind of affects Southgate Bridge? And I was kind of, and I, I kind of gave them, well, what if this happens? And they were they were slow to, to, to comment to me, but they can use dangerous um, building, dangerous structures legislation uh, to basically move in, take over a site and then kind of build a, build a private owner. But only if this kind of spreads to, to, to Southgate Bridge and affects, it would say, for example, ends up closing the bridge. Um, so that I think that was a question you actually you wanted me to ask yeah, last week. Yeah, you tweeted but, um, your, your you tweeted the response to your question, which was question eight on last night's agenda. You asked uh, for an update and progress report on the resolution, and part of the answer you got, a written answer, was telling you what actually happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's why I, to call, I mean you're, you're you're lucky when you ask a question to the chief executive. You can come back in with a supplementary question, but just one supplementary question. So you have to be careful be exact on what you ask and I I, uh, I didn't even get an answer to that I had to push again and so I, I had to beg the indulgence of the Lord Mayor to come back in to get that supplementary question answered um, so I mean, still I, the wiser well I'm I'm, 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 I'm wiser in terms of if that this escalates into something that's going to endanger the general public and so Kate Bridge that they will intervene I'm, I, I'm happier and, and, and more content to us okay. uh, with that I didn't have that information uh, last week when you were interviewing me so I, yeah I know I'm happier this week and okay. hopefully you're happier PJ that well, you have a little bit more information well certainly yes and thank you for bringing it back to us because they've said that they can intervene if it becomes an emergency and at least at least that is where it is now. Thank you, uh, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, and before him, uh, Councillor Oliver Moran. Just on buses, before I go into a break, there are some of your comments coming in on bus connection, how long it's going to take and not going to take. Just something that came up over the weekend, and it's not unconnected, right? 
I was getting off the bus on Saturday night. I went to meet a pal of mine for a point. And as I got off the bus, I, as I always do, thanked the bus driver. And then I happened to be scrolling through my phone and there's this discussion on Twitter. Is it just an Irish thing that we thank the bus driver when you're getting off the bus? It might be, thanks, you know, that's all it needs. Cheers. Just a little salute. I've been doing it all my life. I use the bus certainly once or twice a week. Uh, used it yesterday. I'll be using it today. And always, uh, thanks. Do you thank the bus? It's purely an Irish thing that we thank the bus driver. Like even when I was in holidays, we, we took a bus. Um, and I got off. Gracias. It's just a thing. Do you do it? Do you thank the bus driver? And is it purely an Irish thing? If it is, I like it. I think it's a lovely thing to do. It's an ordinary every day. It's like a reflex action. Do you thank the bus driver when you're getting off the bus? Whether it's a bus connects or not bus connects. 0818 96 96 96. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. St. Luke's Home will mark its 150th anniversary with a fundraising golf classic at Foda Island Golf Resort on Wednesday the 21st of September. St. Luke's Home provides residential care to older people and specialises in dementia care. The golf classic aims to raise vital funds for the Mahan-based charity. Teams of three are invited to book a place by emailing info at stlukeshome.ie. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to Cork Diary at 96fm.ie The Court Diary With Tusla Fostering Now seeking foster carers from a diverse range of backgrounds in Cork See fostering.ie On Cork's 96fm Hi guys, traffic at Sunday as well this morning Insane Took 50 minutes to get through a 10 minute journey We're waking up to road closure signs a lot lately and it's absolutely crazy I'm not a Karen, never said you were. Just an annoyed female trying to drop kids to school and get to work on time. Thank you. Was it bad at Sunday as well this morning? And I know if you're in a hurry like that, you mightn't have a chance to talk to me on the phone. Just whack in a voice message to 083 396 96 96. When you have a chance, obviously, tell me how peed off you are. And yeah. Just send us a voice message. Love to get them. 083 396 96 96 on Bus Connects. Tom says, and this is about Pope's Key in particular, I regard all this consultation as window dressing just to keep people happy. We all know the decisions have been made. A group of people involved in St. Mary's Church met about the positioning of the cycle lane near the church and the parking drop-off on the other side. It's hard to navigate for the elderly, especially, uh, who get comfort from touch attendance. The points we made were good, but we simply shift the location of the lane a few metres, but we were told, sorry, the plans are already set up. See, I, Tom would be of the view that you can all these meetings, they're, they're really just a way of keeping people thinking that they're part of the plan, when in actual fact the plan's already made. 0818969696. I mentioned it a while ago. You can still flick around the television today and within five minutes, particularly if you go to Sky News or BBC News or any one of those, you'll find yourself immersed once again in coverage of the Queen and the newspapers absolutely full of it, including, for example, the Irish Daily Mail this morning, which is a two-page spread on what's going to be happening for 
the rest of the week for today and for the rest of the week and the whole thing. If you look, if you're interested, you're interested. And if you want to read it, you'll read it. If you want to watch it, you'll watch it. I certainly said yesterday, I watched a lot of it over the weekend, purely kind of out of an interest in the pomp and ceremony of the whole thing and, and a kind of a fascination with it. Not with, not with the Queen itself or herself, but just with the, the whole operation surrounding it. John, you reckon we're getting too much of it, though. Morning. Good morning, how are you? And by the way, I always thank the bus driver. Good man. <laughs> I, I, I don't see why not, but I'm not saying it's just, a, I think it's a purely Irish thing. Go on, yeah, And most, most, most guys appreciate it. Like, you know, you'll meet one or two individuals, and I think everyone else would there, they're very gruff. So when I go out the door, then I usually have a discipline louder, like when I say, thank you very much. <laughs> Go on, I know. <laughs> <laughs> The Queen, John, too much? Too much altogether, especially. Look, I don't care what they do across the water, PJ. It's the, uh, she's their Queen, right? Now, let's acknowledge now that there's a 96 year old uh, elderly woman after passing away who was a mother, I mean, uh, who was a sister, uh, who was a grandmother, mm. who is an aunt to people, right? Let's acknowledge that, right? Mm. Just like any 96 year old, really. she lived a long life and she has left a family after her. Well, like any family mourning. But it's the monarchy part I have a problem with, and especially here. Flags at half mass, the whole foremast, and running off the late, late show on Friday night was changed mm-hmm. uh, to facilitate the Queen of England, not all Queen. As I say, flags at half mass, books of condolences opened in the City Hall. I requested um, a book to be opened for the family in Tala, who went through the horrendous tragedy. Mm-hmm. But um, no one came back to me on that like, yes. that. And of course, um, Michal Martin going to Belfast today with Michael D. Higgins. And also they're going, I think, they're both going to London on Monday, uh, Michael D. and, and Michal. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all, every single talk show here over the weekend and all, I mean, this, all the Saturday and Sunday shows, they all had it, you know what I mean? And it's just, you would even the presenters there, like, I mean, Shalini Rowland, they're wearing black presenting the news. Like, what was that all about? Mm, might have and been a coincidence, John. And, uh, d- d- well, well, might have been. Yeah, might have yeah, been. Yeah, well. But, but you, you, you like mentioned that. Why did the Higgins dies in the morning? Like, yeah. Are the flags going to be half masked over there? Will there be wall to wall coverage about the Irish president? Whoever the Irish president will be going forward, will there will there be coverage on that? Look, you see, the problem is like. We still have the problem with the six counties, right? And look, as I said, the monarchy side of her, like, this is the woman, right, who awarded a knighthood, like, to Colonel Jackson, like, who was in charge of the Palatoub Regiment mm. on Bloody Sunday, and we all know what happened there, right? Mm. But she then also, came to Dublin and said those immortal words, and if I quote them, with the benefit of historical si- hindsight, there are many things that would have been done differently or not at all. Yeah, and obviously, they came in, and that was well researched, they came in, and she was coached very well by a top civil servant, the same as Michal Martin has speech writers, they all have it, Veratka, Joe Biden has it, the whole lot. She also gave a knighthood to Tony Blair, who went into uh, uh, Iraq and destabilized the whole Middle East. Yeah. Not alone was there, hundreds of British soldiers killed, but thousands of Iraqis as well. Yeah. So let, let's, let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah. No, in the coverage in general, you mentioned... And you, all of these are valid points. You, you mentioned the, the, a 96-year-old mother and grandmother and mm-hmm. whatever. I would put it to you, though, that also one thing she was, John, was the best-known, most familiar woman on the planet. Her face was the most instantly recognisable female face, if not face in general. 
well, the planet. Well, there's that. That's because she was 70 years on the throne. Now, Charlie, we'll have to live to be uh, about 140 if he was to catch up on an hour, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, you're quite right. She, she was well known. But at the same time, I don't see, like, why we should be kind of getting fallen over ourselves, I mean, over it, because uh, she's not our queen, right? I mean, we yeah. have our own people here. I don't believe we we even should have a president here because, look, there's no Paul attached to it. But, look, it's just over the top, and I, I, I feel like that's, you know, just leave them do what they want across the yeah. water. But we well, can I, I guess to. as well as that, John, and I mentioned to you Sky News and BBC News are still running it round the clock virtually. You, you, there, there is an off button. Well, there is, of course. But, I mean... You know, it's just that even the weekend they're like trolling around the stations, you couldn't get away from it. And then, as yeah. I said, the late late show, people sitting down Friday night because, uh, you know, they usually you know what guests are coming on. And the whole running order was changed. Like, I mean, Michael Higgins was brought on. And I wish Tyler Connell, look, I mean, he felt to me got great publicity over the down for the years. But, like, he was on with Ben O'Connor on Sunday, like, and he was saying we should bring Charlie over here. I'm sorry. I don't want another. F- as long as there's people and, and children and f- f- for special needs and everything waiting this way, I don't want another 40 million of a security mm. bill, which mm. wiped out the gather over it the last time the Queen came. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to factor all that stuff in. So, I mean, don't look. Enlightened people is gone, like, I mean, but there's a massive bill attached to it. In which yeah, well, that, that, that is what it is. I know what you mean. And I'll finish that. on this point, I guess. As an Irish Republican, I don't see how me or anyone that calls themselves an Irish Republican could go in and put their name to a book of condolence. I don't know how many people did. Um, yeah. I didn't have an opportunity. But, again, some people are saying here, if he doesn't like it, don't watch it. Yeah, but they see the very fact is, I mean, why is this happening in the first place? Like, as I said, she's not our queen. We had 800 years of oppression here, like, I mean, mm. these the Brits do what they like. It's, well, like Emmanuel Macron did something he rarely ever does. He made a speech in English. In Germany, their leader there recognised her in a speech. Joe Biden spoke about her. Like, she was a glo- well, she was, was the biggest like, and best-known woman on the, on the, on the planet. Let's be honest, I mean, uh, Macron, no, like, he's not really popular in his own country, the only reason that he retained... No, that's not the point I'm making, John. Yeah, he he yeah. made he never speaks in English publicly, even mm-hmm. though he has very good English. He made a speech in English. Again, leave the French do what they want, leave Joe Biden do what they want, but I think, for all we've been through here, like, I mean, I have no problem with the 96-year-old woman, but I have a huge problem okay. with humanity, and we had it long enough here. All right. Good man, John. Thank you. 0818. 96, 96, 96. Is there too much coverage? You have a choice. You have an off button. You don't have to buy a newspaper. You have an off button. I didn't watch any of it yesterday, having watched quite a lot of it over the weekend. Uh, I'm actually off next Monday, as it turns out. I know uh, people will say, oh, he's taking it off to the Queen's funeral. No, I'm not taking it off the Queen. But I'm off next Monday, uh, as it turns out. Uh, Will I watch it? More than likely, yes. More than likely, I'll sit down and watch an hour of it, purely for the pomp and ceremony and the, I think, as a journalist, as a, as a, as a broadcaster, as someone who understands the technology of broadcasting, uh, the, the size of the media operation fascinates me. But what do you think of what John is saying? 0818 96 96 96. Looks like there's a lot going on in Sunday as well. Does anyone know what the works are going on? Traffic at a standstill for, the, for an hour at least. I advise people, avoid it. Sunday's well area. They haven't a clue what they're doing, says Dave. What genius thought of commencing roadworks at the bottom of Sunday's well? It's causing mayhem 
They had the whole summer and now they start the roadworks. That's from Connor. Absolute disaster. Both sides. Traffic still really bad in Sunday's well. I live on Sunday's well and the road closures are beyond a joke. This morning again, madness. Toddlers would have planned it better. <laughs> oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Is that what the voice message that you've oh no, this is about thanking the bus driver. Yeah, Tom says, um, John O'Donovan is bringing back the hatred that destroyed this country for years. We have a shared culture, and I for one hope that Ireland and the UK go forward hand in hand in friendship forevermore. Canvassed for a call, said he wouldn't bring the haters on himself. We asked him to call. Sorry, it didn't rhythm. We asked him to come on the air, and he said he wouldn't bring the haters on himself. Well, Tom... I'd be lovely, lovely to talk to you if, you if you want Tell him just turn off the telly What's the big deal? She's a mother, a grandmother Let her die in peace Yeah, I'm just interested in the trivia more than anything else Like, did you know I read this this morning in the paper I read this this morning in the paper That um, the mail, I think Her coffin Her coffin was made 30 years ago 30 years ago They made the coffin Apparently herself and Prince Philip both had coffins made 30 years ago. Made of oak, lined with lead. That's the kind of trivia. That last caller needs to move on and grow up, says this message. Mm. On the subject of thanking the bus driver, April's been on the voice message. Morning, PJ. April here. Yeah, I'm the same as you, PJ. I always thank the bus driver as well. Now, I don't use the bus that often, but whenever I do, I always say thank you. And I think it's a lovely gesture. Yeah, that's, it is a nice thing. I just do it unconsciously at this stage. Thanks, April. Thanking the bus driver. John says he always thanks the bus driver. Is it just an Irish thing, though, do you think? 0818969696. I went to the Book of Condolences, says this call. Just wondering if anybody does agree with John. Uh, John describes himself as an Irish Republican and believes she's not our queen. She has nothing to do with us. There's a murky past there. And that we, effectively, should have nothing to do with any of this. Uh, He didn't say whether he doesn't think Michal Martin or Michael D should or shouldn't go to the funeral. Uh, but hey, your thoughts will be very welcome. PJ, did you see the piece on BBC News last night about the Queen's visit to Cork? Fergal Keane was the report. That, that there's two Fergal Keens, one for RTE, one for BBC. I'm assuming it's that Fergal Keane, the BBC guy, was the journalist, and they spoke to pupils in Prez as well. I didn't see that. I must look for that. Hi, PJ. The irony of John coming on radio is a bit comical. He said talk shows are spending too much time covering the Queen's death, but then spent 20 minutes giving out about it. Well, for hardly 20 minutes, but I take your point. Therefore, giving it even more airtime. 0818969696. And a lot of, I think pretty much everyone is saying that they thank the bus driver. Uh, Michael was saying that... Uh, Many years ago, he thanked a lady driver when he was leaving the bus in New York, and the lady was absolutely shocked. Seems to was very rarely thanked. Actually, the ones that I notice kind of look at you twice are, and we've quite a number of them now, 
um, bus drivers, foreign foreign bus drivers driving in Cork, and great to see them. But they're the ones I think that are taken more by surprise when you're walking off and thanks, and they look at you. Okay, <laughs> oh, I think it's a lovely custom, and long may it continue. No one ever taught me to do it. I just saw the people doing it and copied it for the for myself. Um, but I think it's purely Irish. Like Michael says, he did it in New York, and they're still looking at him. Thanking the bus driver when you get when you get off. D- do you do it? Can we just talk? The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Quartz 96 FM. Tiago, bom dia, bom How are you? Good morning. Bom dia, bom dia, PJ. Good morning. <laughs> I, I looked it up in the break. I don't speak much Portuguese, but I said we have you, you. You've taken the trouble to call us. You, you drive a bus here in bus, yeah? Yeah, I do. Yes. And, and then when people say thank you, are you surprised by that? Well, not anymore, but uh, I still, uh, I still find it uh, funny sometimes uh, because it's, it's uh, automatic, so auto- automatic thing that uh, that the Irish do. Um, but when I came to, to Ireland three years ago, um, I was amazed. Uh, I was like, "Why? Why are people thanking me? <laughs> Just doing my job." <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an Irish thing, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. You can see it. You can see it anywhere else in the in the world. Yeah. Were yeah. you surprised the first couple of times it happened? Oh, I was. Uh, I started to drive. Uh, I started to drive in the private company uh, in the UCC shuttle. And it was the students and teachers from UCC. Um, you know, I find it odd. You know, it's, I'm just doing my job. But I, I, I replied, "Thank you, thank you too, and cheers, and have a nice morning." But um, yeah, it was it was funny. Yeah. It was funny to to see it. Yeah, yeah. I, we're, we're, I, I don't think anyone ever taught me to do it. I just saw others doing it as a small boy, and learned to do it. But if I have you, were you driving buses in Portugal, Tiago? No, I wasn't. Uh, I started to drive a couple of months before I came to, to Ireland. Um, but let me tell you that there are many parents with small children that um, that tell their children to thank the bus driver. Good. And then the, the, yeah, yeah, and the children and the children go and thank you, thank you, Mr. Bus Driver. So um, yeah, the the tradition goes on. <laughs> Fantastic. What what route do you drive, Tiago? Uh, I do all kinds of routes. I do mainly country routes and expressways. Um, I don't drive in the city anymore, so. Um, but it's it's all over the country, so. Hey, good, good, and you know what? We're delighted to have you here, and, no, and uh, many other drivers from other parts of the world driving our buses down. It's, it's lovely to see. And Tiago, obrigado for calling us. De nada. You're welcome, PJ. Have a nice <laughs> Thanks, one. mate. Thanks, mate. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. We had another voice message on this as well. We have two daughters and we go to school in town, so we're on the bus almost five days a week. Some days I could be on the bus four times going in and going out. And I always say good morning and we'd always say goodbye and my daughters would always say goodbye. But you know one or two drivers who wouldn't really, you know, kind of accept the greeting or wouldn't maybe be as friendly back to you. But that's all right as well. But for the most part, we always say good morning, goodbye. Yeah, for the, I, I think some drivers are just surprised. I, I don't think it's that they don't want to accept the greeting. It's that they're kind of saying they're very just very surprised. I mean, as as Tiago said there, he was he was really surprised when when he heard it first. Thank you, oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I don't know about thanking the bus driver being an Irish thing, but the real Irish one. Oh yeah. Oh God, yeah. Oh no. I, 
Oh, yeah. I, I'll t- I'll, oh, now, that one grinds my gears. And anybody who does that, I honestly think I wouldn't let them go on the return. I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Now, you can ask your smart speaker to play Cork's 96FM. Say the word and I'm going to give you what you want. Play Cork's 96FM. I can tell that you like it. There are now even more ways to listen to Cork's 96FM. Tune in on your radio, online, on your mobile. Cork's 96FM. A lot of people engaging in this little conversation we're having about what whether or not you 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 thank the bus driver i i think it's very nice i think a lot of people do even if they don't admit it um this is uh, carol sent us an email from saudi oh good morning carol or good afternoon or whatever time of the day it is in saudi right now uh, they always say thank you in canada on the metro buses Thanks, Carol. I don't know about thanking the bus driver being an Irish thing, but the real one that's really Irish is clapping the pilot. Yeah. We were landing in in Tenerife for the holidays in July, and all I cared about was finding out the result of the rugby match, which had been on the Ireland versus the All Blacks, which had been on while we were travelling. And as we... As we came down and the plane landed, I sat, looked across and my missus said, please don't let them clap. Please don't let them clap. I just, but it is a pure, they didn't, as it turned out. But, well, a few did. But it's a, it is a purely Irish thing. Like, thanking the bus driver as you get off is lovely. But, and you can thank the flight crew on the airline as you get, and I do. As you're getting off the plane down the steps, thanks, you know. But this idea that we've just landed in some far-flung corner of the world, and here we are identifying ourselves as the Irish by half us dressed in gad jerseys and going, Yay! I love. It. I kind of love it and hate it and cringe at the same time. Hi, PJ. Thank. I thank everyone. I don't get the bus, but it's cost nothing to be nice. Everyone thanked the driver when I lived in the UK, says Kevin. Uh, cheers, drive, is all you'd hear in a broad West Country accent. Didn't hear it often in the States, but that was a long time ago. It's not unique to us. We're from South Africa, where buses don't really exist. And since arriving in Ireland, we've always thanked the bus driver. Our toddler thanks the bus driver when getting off the bus and loves how she gets a friendly wave goodbye from the driver when hopping off. It is it is lovely. Sunday's well seems to be a mess this morning. A catastrophe. An hour in traffic, says this message. Sunday's well road is closed. Irish water replacing pipes. The disruption to people has been awful. The road has been closed for a lot of the summer. You'd expect these works would be done by now, as the schools are back. It's just on to the city council and Irish water have a contract till the 30th of September. Vicky's Restaurant, a beautiful addition to Sunday's Well, is now closed down. And the post office are struggling as well due to road closures taking place over the last six months. Definitely seems to have been an absolute disaster this morning. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-96-96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. I have to say most people contacting us this morning with regard to the royal family and the coverage of the the Queen's funeral and the build-up to the Queen's funeral and all the coverage. Most people uh, are not in full agreement with John. A lot of people are half agreeing, but no. Uh, Deirdre says there wasn't any of this when Princess Diana died. We, We watched it all day. And I remember that. Uh, Deirdre, I was working in the newsroom here uh, the morning she died and the blanket coverage for a full week was phenomenal and there was very few people saying we shouldn't be looking at it that's very true I don't agree with John, I thought the Queen was a hard working Queen I'll be sending a sympathy card to King Charles the past is in the past this is that message and here's one and I'll leave it at this for now but we'll come back to it So many people I know hate everything about the United Kingdom. Yet they support all the English teams. And what about all the tourists that come here? What about all the Irish that have claimed benefits off the UK state? History is history. Put it behind us, for God's sake. Or at least, don't be a hypocrite. Thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. And I've spoken before about the work of the Cork Alliance Centre. And they're celebrating 20 years <clears throat> in operation this year. Uh, so we thought we'd catch up once again with their CEO, uh, Sheila Connolly. And first of all, Sheila, congratulations on, on 20 years in operation. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks a million. Yeah, I know. Little did I think twenty years ago when, when we I would have started here that we'd still be around and we would still be. I suppose that with that things would have changed so much and progressed so much since since what it was like at that stage. And mm-hmm. tell me yeah. about the origins it's, and it's, tell it's us good, about the work it's, it's, you it's do. Okay, I suppose we would have started very much, and I suppose there would have been a lot of work done prior to the, in the, the, to the maybe five or six years before that, and actually even setting up the or, or up the project. And there was a think tank in Cork called the Cork Alliance for Justice and Social Care that was looking at that social justice piece. Was looking at you will remember twenty years ago there was a huge issue around the revolving door about people being released from prison without any plans, without any support mechanisms, and they were finding themselves back inside again just as quickly yeah. um, without being resourced to, to manage it. themselves. That, that great word that's always difficult to pronounce and it's it's very unclear as to what it actually means and kind of ha- how we scale it and how we tra- trace it and how we how we track it with people. But I suppose, so So we came out of that space and time. We got support from the probation service, which was huge for us at the time to say, you know, the, these would be clients of probation. They could be clients of probation if if there isn't an, another intervention and if people get a choice to choose to come in and seek support. Is that not a better space to actually engage with people? So people choose to come voluntarily to our centre. They're looking at the space of saying, I, you know, things have gone badly wrong for me. I can see that, you know, I, I have a I have a part to play in this. I have to take responsibility for this. And how do I step in to to changing my life and and changing what's going on for me? So that's where kind of it, that's where it originated from, and there, that's the bones of still what we of of the work we do with people. So it's looking at offending behaviour. It's very much that assistance piece of understanding that if we're, if crimes are being committed, we're harming ourselves. We're more important. We're harm we're harming others. We're harming our community. And, mm. and how do we address that? How do we step back from that? 
um, and how do we repair those harms for ourselves, for our, for the people we've hurt, for and for the wider community then as well. So how do you find the people that use your services, Sheila? Do you go and, and I forgive me, I don't have a better word, do you canvas for people or do they come to you? Are they, are they <laughs> pointing in your direction or, or what? It's a mixture of everything, PJ. Sometimes it's um, that we we have we have access to the prison, so the prison service will will facilitate us um, and identify people that that they, they feel will be suitable for our service or that could avail of our services. Um, that we will also have family members that will will contact us in relation to people. People themselves will contact us. Other services in the city, so we'll say the education units, the the um, homeless services. We'd have strong working alliances with them. Um, we'd also have that then in, within social welfare as well. Then, if they find people that are not that you know are, are presenting, have been released from prison and need support, um, then then they'll refer them into us. But our, our main people are our refer source of referrals are within the Department of Justice, so from the prison service and from the probation service. So um, the prison service would they identify throughout. people within the system who might benefit from your intervention? Yeah. Absolutely, that they'll see that, and they'll make they'll make space. That was, I suppose, in the prison because we have integrated sentence management officers with ISM officers who are meeting people when they're coming into prison, and they're he, help to identify what what their people's needs actually are, um, how they're doing in prison, then, and if they need um, additional support on their on their release that we could possibly give them. Then, then we'll definitely look to see if we can step into that space with somebody um, if, if there's opportunities there for us mm. um, to, to, to be able to support somebody um, in that process, then we'll do that. So, yeah, it, it, I suppose it comes from with, with whichever angles that um, that are open to people and, and for themselves, I suppose, when you're around 20 years, then people make self-referrals as well mm. um, because you might have family or friends that have... Um, have have used the surface, or then because of the two norries <laughs> that James and Timmy end up making referrals to us as well. Yeah. Because I suppose people see the podcast would have seen um, myself on it would have would have. And I suppose the lads, when they're talking about anybody who's been to prison, they will kind of recommend that they make contact with us and see if we can see if we're available to help them, see if we have capacity to do that, yeah. and if we can at all, we will we'll try and step into that space. Yeah, talk to me about desistance and trying to assist people with desistance from crime. Yeah, well, I suppose that like if if we look at crime and what brings people into it is very much a disconnect um, a disconnect from ourselves, a disconnect from the society um, and, and a, a lot of anger and angst. So if we actually address those pieces, we're also addressing um, the desistance part of it and what, what we need to do to step away from those pieces. We build connections, we build connections with ourselves, we build connections with our community because you know yourself, it's very difficult um, it would be PJ. It'd be difficult for you to hurt me when you know me and you you like me and you get on with me. It's easier for you to hurt me if I'm if you just see me as a blank wall. So if we move those trajectories for people, so that so that we create those connections, um, if we understand that there is um, that people are, are have found solace in their addictions and it is causing more problems and it's actually causing that than the solutions is causing and we support people to address those pieces then we're working it, we're working more into a desistance um, model as well but i think the theory of desistance is, is is about stopping crime to desist is to stop crime 
But for me, you know, you can't just stop. You have to move into something else. And what kind of a life are you moving into and how, what does that look like and how do you do it and how do you test the water for it? So like that's why we would say education is a big part for us and um, with a lot of our people. Obviously, recovery and addiction um, and trauma recovery are, are big parts as well. Mm. Um, but if we're creating or helping people create new lives, um, and, and repair the harm that they've done. That's, that's you know, the stepping into the new life, the life that you want. No child is born saying, I want to end up in prison or I want no four-year-old that you're going to ask is going to say that. So life happens to us along the way. And how do we repair that? And what do we need to do to change that and to take ownership of our behaviours that have caused us to end up in prison and, and, yet, and then take ownership of our behaviours as best we can and and greater self-awareness and so we improve our options and choice so we can step away from it. The last time he was talking to me here and you mentioned the lads from the Tunaris, James gave me a little uh, quote, hurt people hurt people. Hurt, yeah. I I thought that was very, uh, very deep. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. You've come across that a lot, I expect. And, and, And the... And, and the more hurt you are, the more disconnected you are from yourself. You're the more disconnected you are from your from the people around you, from your society and from your community. Mm. And then if we can repair those connects, connections, if we can reform them, if we can create new ones, then we create a better space mm. um, to actually allow people to repair the hurt mm. um, that they've suffered and that they have, that, that, that has been caused by that as well. Um, but it is, it is as simple as that. Sorry, in the 20 years, Sheila, I think you'd agree with me, we've changed a lot. When we put someone up into fragments, say Cork Prison now, we've changed a lot. The opportunities that are in there for them, I was privileged to see the preparations they had for their pop-up restaurant a few months ago and to meet some of the lads who'd been training in there. And I asked the governor at the time, I said, you know... You're doing all this for them, and it's fantastic. What about victims? What opportunity did they get? And and he said to me, and I thought it was a very profound statement, he said, by putting these opportunities out there for our inmates, we prevent or try to prevent more victims. And I thought that was very, very profound. Would you go along with it? Absolutely, absolutely. I would see that we do victim work um, by repairing the harms that of, of, the, of people who have done the harm, yeah. by facilitating their change, by improving their way of being in the world. We're, we're moving everybody forward and we're improving things for everybody. Yeah. If you look at any of the restorative justice, restorative practices, restorative justice research, it'll tell you that, and, and most of that restorative justice research is done with victims um, of crime. And most victims want to know that it's not going to happen again. Yes. That it's going to, that nobody's going to have to go through what they've gone through. Yes. Um, and, and, th- and that's a very real piece. And I know that personally for myself. Yes. And, and this is a space by which we can actually, you know, keep that offending real, keep that real in our conversations with people so that we can ensure that we move away from that so that we know what steps have happened. We know what our triggers are. We know what's happened in it. And the more we move away from it, the more the less chances there are of, of repeating old behaviours. Mm. And the more, the, the stronger we become in ourselves. And that with the, I suppose that, that for us is around 
building that self-determination, that self-belief, that self-respect. Because if we hold our own self-respect, then, then it's very difficult to disrespect somebody else. So if we build those within people, yeah. then we're actually cha- changing the face of a generation so so that um, in the vision that, that, um, that, that there will be less victims and that we can repair some yeah. of the harm by creating, as you say, you know, when you look at James and Timmy and along the space that, that you know, they recognize the harms they've done, but they're hugely trying to repair all of that, you know, and repair that with others and for others in, in, in their podcast as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that you know, they're, they're, that's the generation of people we're working with. Yeah, and things have very much changed in in the past twenty years. That the lock them up and throw away the key mentality, it's it's kind of been cast aside. I would think in favour of right, let's let's put people, let's send, let's send people to prison, but let's make it an opportunity for them to change their lives and and not do what they've done again. Absolutely, absolutely. And the prison service is very, very much stepping into that rehabilitation side of it. The yes, you know, the judges, the, the court system, the justice system has decided that people needed to be taken out of society for a period of time. But that's also a space of, okay, well, how, what, what work can we do there? And there's great psychology services, there's great addiction services within the prison to actually work those processes with people so that they understand themselves, so that they build those relationships with themselves, mm. so that they can begin to repair that mm. damage done, so that when they do... Um, do get released, and that they, they, if they do link in with the, with the likes of us for support or whatever projects around the country, then then that we can begin, you know, that change process on the outside, and that so that people can ex- experience it as well. Yeah. Because if you have um, a history of being in and out of prison for quite a number of years, it takes society a while um, to accept the changes yeah. that you're making and the person that you are becoming. Um, and it can be very difficult to hold yourself in in, in those frustrations, and and that's part of our work. So I suppose we're allowed, fortunately, by our funders to be able to stay with people for as long as they need it. So we would, you know, when people are in college, we're still with them in that process. Um, you know, as people are in employment, that doesn't mean we step away from them if we're still looking at therapeutic interventions. That we help them move through life um, until we're not needed. Okay. Um, which I suppose is, 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 a, is a graceful place to be in. Well, the fact that you're doing it 20 years means you're obviously doing it right. Uh, so, Sheila, thank you and uh, congratulations on 20 years. The work of the Cork Alliance Centre, that's their CEO, Sheila Connolly. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Mention of the two Naris there. I, I've actually been invited to be on their podcast. I'm delighted to get the message, I, I think, before I went on holidays. So we're recording in the next few weeks I'm looking forward to that 0818 uh, I have a friend who turned his life around anyone who gets offered the chance they should change it says Kate or they should take it you'd never think it was the young lad who was causing all the trouble he's 25 now and he's marvellous but then uh, there's more talk about offenders than victims I went for a bite with my sister and brother-in-law and while they were with me, their house was broken into. There was very little help available for them, and what help there was was under-resourced. They just had to get on with it. Cleaning up the mess, finding replacement items, all that has to happen too. No one was talking about their hurt. Many of us have been hurt in life. I have been deeply hurt. And you know what? I know what it feels like. So I go out of my way to never hurt anybody else, because I'm normal. I think, in fact, that hurt people may be far less inclined to hurt others, apart from a few thugs. That's interesting. That's an interesting take. 
Thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. <laughs> More bus drivers stuff coming in. Morning, PJ. The majority, and team, the majority of decent bus drivers treat us like more than just a bus ticket. So why wouldn't we thank them, says D. No, no question about it, D. I would always thank the bus driver. Um, Eugene gets the weirdest comment of the day award so far. Now, it is only 25 past 10. Um, PJ, you used to bless yourself in the opera house after the national anthem was played. I was. It was a strange habit that loads of people had. You're going back. You're going back a lot of years there now, Eugene. I don't even know if they still. I don't think they still play the national anthem in the opera house before the show starts. I don't think they do. Not in recent years, anyway, that I can remember. But they used to play it before everything. And Eugene says that when you were in the opera house and they played the national anthem, I remember that. I remember standing for the national anthem as a young fella in the opera house. I do remember that, but I don't ever remember blessing myself afterwards. Thanks, huge. 0818 Now, staff in a number of care and community organisations across County Cork are to strike on Wednesday, 21st September. That's two weeks tomorrow. Actually, it's not. It's tomorrow week. As part of the Valuing Care, Valuing Community campaign to highlight the demand for a pay rise for workers. Joined by Teresa Butler of SIP2 and Lewis Hodgson who is a shop steward. I'll start with you, uh, Lewis. Talk to me about workers on the ground. When was the last time they got a pay rise? Good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? Um, so I'm working with the company, the organisation of the last four years. Um, now the last time they got a pay rise, I believe, like the, the cuts were back in 2010, um, 2011, that, that time period. But um, we got the pay restoration back there this year and which brought us back to where we were before the cuts were brought in. This was Fem- um, Fempi. Before that, I don't know when the last raise was. Okay, so you've basically just had Fempi restored, as they used to call it. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, Teresa, go through with me who is represented here. Who are these workers? Where do they work? Hi, PJ. Thanks very much for having us on the show. Um, so as you said, this these... This day of action, sorry, in Cork on the 21st is part of a wider campaign, Value and Care, Value and Community. And it would be ourselves and SIP2 together with FORSA and the INMO. And the workers involved would be workers who work for what we call Section 39 organisations within health, as well as a number of community-based organisations. So when we say Section 39 organisations, what it means is under the Healthcare Act, they're funded for Section 39, which means they're around 99% of their funding comes from the HSE, but not 100% of their funding like it would with HSE direct environment for what Section 38. So Section 39s are extremely heavily dependent on the funding that they receive from the HSE um, and they provide services in the community on behalf of the HSE and yet our government think it's okay to continue to pay these workers who do the exact same work Oh, you're breaking up there. So section thirty-nine. Yeah, section I can. Section thirty-nine. Like that means not a lot to 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 most people. So where where are we talking about? Are we what institutions are we talking about, Teresa? So section thirty-nine workers would be would be healthcare workers. Um, and what we mean when we section thirty-nine is just how they're under the Healthcare Act. 
and it means that 99% of their funding would come directly from the HSE, but they're not, because they're not fully funded by the HSE, um, they're, they're left in, in a situation where they're not receiving the directing increased pay that Section 38 and HSE Direct would be receiving. Um, as well as that, as part of this campaign, there's also community-based organisations. So the likes of the Irish Wheelchair Association, employability and CE schemes as well. So um, this will actually be a three-day action across the country. So on the 21st, we're starting in Cork with St. Joseph's Foundation in North Cork, um, as well as employability and the Irish Wheelchair Association. But we're then continuing to escalate the campaign and our colleagues across the west of Ireland will be going out on the 22nd. Yeah. And then Enable Ireland in Cork and Kerry will be going out on the 23rd. And we will continue this campaign until the government enter. In- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. She talks with us to put back in place you see, PJ, before the cuts happened that Lewis was talking about in 2010, 2011, we would have had a historic pay link between the HSC and our Section 39 members, whereby if we got a pay increase for the public sector, shortly after that, a Section 39 employer would then have a mechanism to apply for the funding to increase pay in line with the public sector. But when the cuts took place, that pay link was severed. And we need to restore that now for, for our members who work in Section 39 and community-based organisations yeah. to ensure that they're not being paid lower than their colleagues in the public sector. Okay. Lewis, in, in terms of the services, when people hear about a strike, while on the one hand, they may very well sympathise with a lot of the worker, but they may also, particularly in, in the healthcare sector, worry about services being affected on the day. So what can you say to that? Yes, so um, obviously there would be um, sufficient staffing provided on the day um, and that would be sorted out before the strike would happen so that would be very minimal um, disruptions to the to the, the service on that day. Um, obviously it's not like as we're working in a shop or a factory, we can't just close the doors. I mean, we're working with people and they need the services. Um, now, say, non-important, say, appointments or any activities I think that that would have to be withdrawn on that day but obviously the basic level of care and support would be given on that day as well So nobody would be would be left to chance as it were No, as like I mean we have a lot of service users that attend a day service from 9 to 4 so they may be requested to stay at home on that day um, but then we have service users in residential care that need full time 24 hours a day, 7 days a week support which would they would obviously have to be staffed sufficiently I think, and I think that's what, what people need reassurance on. So 21st of September and spreading around the country on the 22nd. And Teresa, if this doesn't 
succeed, what next? What then? Um, well, if this doesn't succeed, SIP2 fully intend to continue to escalate our campaign um, together with our Congress unions. Um, as I said, we can continue to just turn a blind eye to the fact that our members in community-based and Section 39 organisations are being disrespected by our government. They're not being paid um, the same as their colleagues in the public sector who do the exact same work. And I suppose it's important to say that these organisations, their hands are tied in terms of... Um, applying the pay increases that are happening in the public sector, if they could get the funding from the government, they'd be in a position to do so. Because, you know, I often hear on your on your show, PJ, you have people who talk about community-based um, services for, yeah. for vulnerable people and the fact that there's waiting lists and there's services closing down. And that will continue to happen when these organisations aren't being funded sufficiently and they can't retain their, their, their valuable staff. St. Joseph's Foundation is an absolutely fantastic organisation. I've spent a lot of time there as, as their official and the, the staff who work there want to be able to stay there and they have fantastic relationships with the people that they support. But as you know, PJ, with the cost of living crisis, it's yeah. becoming harder and harder for people to survive even on a decent wage. So when they're being left further and further behind public sector workers, as we continue to negotiate pay increases for them, it, it, it becomes a viability issue in terms of whether they can stay there or not. And then organisations, fantastic organisations like St. Joseph's are then, as I said, struggling to retain highly qualified, dedicated um, staff who have brilliant relationships with the service users. And we can't continue to stand over that as a trade union. And we're going to continue to fight, as I said, and continue to escalate this campaign until the government enter into talks with us to re-establish that pay link and a mechanism for Section 39 and community organisations to increase pay for their workers. Okay. It's on the 21st September, um, at least the initial day, affecting places like the Irish Wheelchair Association and St. Joseph's Foundation. Teresa Butler, uh, organiser with SIP2, and Lewis Hodgson, shop steward. Thank you both. 21st September, that's tomorrow. Is it? Yeah. Tomorrow week. 0818 96 96 96. Was... The late Queen Mother ever the Queen. Now, this is a bit complicated, right? Yes, she was. Uh, she was Queen from December 1936 to February 1952 because she was the wife of King George VI, who, of course, is the, was the father of Queen Elizabeth. So she was Queen while he was King. Um, now, it was through marriage she was Queen, so she was technically a Queen consort. But of course, when the monarch dies, then the consort title goes. But she was then named the Queen Mother because she was Elizabeth and the Queen was Elizabeth. So to avoid confusion, they called her the Queen Mother. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's confusing, I know. 0818 96, 96, 96. The answer is yes, she was. She was Queen to uh, Jean. She was, king, she was Queen while King George VI was King. There you go. 0818 96 96 96. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The National Symphony Orchestra makes a long-awaited return to Cork City Hall on Saturday 24th of September for an evening of extravagant Russian drama and romance conducted by its internationally renowned chief conductor, Jamie Martin. Access all areas. His festival is now in its fifth year, bringing both Irish and 
international artists to Cork for a contemporary circus and streets art festival. Hosted by the legendary Brian Quinn, the gala show is an opportunity for Corkonians young and old to see the cream of the crop perform and it takes place on Sunday, September 18th at the Everyman Theatre. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events or gigs by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. With Cork Culture Night, Cork City. Enjoy free events in over 100 venues on Friday, September 23rd. See culturenightcork.ie on Cork's 96FM. A subject we've talked about a lot on the programme over the years is endometriosis. It's a huge women's health issue and it is thankfully talked about a lot more now than it was, say, 10 years ago. I can remember... Um, as a much, much younger man having a great friend who suffered from it and now one of, a number of my friends have suffered from it. It's extremely common. It was one of these things that wasn't talked about for years. Now more people are talking about it, but still not enough of them, advocates would say. A new movie uh, gets its premiere in Dublin. It's a 50-minute a documentary called Below the Belt. It gets its premiere in Dublin next month on Thursday, October the 6th. Kathleen King, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. We talk about Below the Belt first and the fact its executive producer is none other than Hillary Clinton. That Hillary Clinton? It is that Hillary Clinton and, you know, Hillary has been an amazing advocate for endometriosis and um, having lived with the condition herself. And, you know, Hillary has felt that, you know, because endometriosis, it's an issue that's been overlooked and ignored and dismissed for so long that the film could be a very powerful tool to change how it is seen and how it's handled and to sort of help raise visibility, like not just amongst the general community, but also the medical um, profession as well. So we're delighted that she became involved and, you know, as is as the executive producer, because it lends a lot of weight to the film and it also helps us to raise the visibility of the condition as well. Now, it affects one woman in nine. That's a statistic I wasn't aware of. It's huge, isn't it? So we're estimating 155,000 in Ireland. And that's, you know, again, an estimate at 200 million worldwide. So, you know, if you know nine women, you know somebody living with endometriosis. Um, They may not always, you know, know that they have it themselves. They may not sort of speak about it. And there could be a waiting diagnosis. Because as we know in Ireland, the average delay to diagnosis is nine years. Um, And I've spoken to women over my time as an advocate who've waited maybe 18, 20 years to receive a diagnosis. And Mm. that is shocking. In in the women I've known in my life, young and old, I would name four immediately who've had it to various levels. Um, So it's very, very, very common. It takes a long time to get diagnosed. I think that's the problem, the biggest problem. Why Why is that? It is. It's it's a massive problem because during that time it takes to get diagnosed, the disease is progressing and causing a lot of issues which can lead to chronic pain and infertility. But I suppose the issues around the delay to diagnosis are, are complex and, you know, we, we sort of look at, at the sort of multi-facets to this and one of them is that, you know, like as individuals, we don't necessarily know that period pain is abnormal. We don't necessarily know that sort of our heavy bleeding could be abnormal or that what we're suffering and what we're feeling like is actually out of the blue. 
So if you have you know, a family where your mom maybe has had heavy periods or has always had pain, it may not be unusual. So this is where education comes in, in terms of, you know, speaking to women and speaking to young girls and young boys alike, um, so that we can watch for these symptoms early. So you've got that lack of recognition of that, the, the symptoms in the beginning. But we do know that women are presenting to their GPs and they're presenting to healthcare professionals. And it's been missed at this point as well. The symptoms can appear to be quite vague or they may be indicative of a lot of other conditions. Mm. But endometriosis is rarely top of the list, unfortunately, with a lot of healthcare professionals. Mm. And we need to get this changed. And it's true, isn't it, Kathleen, that by the time many women, not all, but by the time many women are diagnosed, endometriosis has done horrendous, irreversible damage. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, we I've seen women who've lost organs, and um, they've lost you know their part of their bowel, they've lost a kidney, they've lost their appendix. Um, in some cases, women ended up um, losing some of their reproductive organs as well due to a lot of damage and adhesions. Um, and as we know as well, endometriosis is one of the leading causes of infertility. Um, so the more inflammation and scarring that's on in, in the pelvic area, um, and the more damage to the ovary ov- ovarian tissue, um, can lead to infertility as well during that time I have a friend who suffered very seriously with it and had to have a a full hysterectomy at a very very young age Mm -hmm. who said to me afterwards Mm -hmm. you know what PJ if men suffered from this it wouldn't take so long to sort it out would you go along with that Kathleen Oh, I would. And I hate to bring this down divisive lines of, of women's versus men's health. Looking at the trailer, it's in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, that is the reality of it. You know, and if I was to say to, to men, like, you know, you have a condition that one in 10 of you or one in nine of you is going to have um, a treatment that is going to be offered is to, you know, basically remove your testicles. It's not a cure. It's not actually a treatment, but we'll do it anyway, just in case the place would be an uproar. Um, and we know that removing the uterus and removing the ovaries in women is not a good treatment for endometriosis. Um, you need to actually remove the disease. And because there's so little research and there are so few skilled surgeons actually removing the disease um, you know, correctly and removing it in its entirety, we have a lot of women, unfortunately, having to leave the country to get adequate treatment. And, and it, it just does horrendous damage and permanent damage. So even after it's being treated, there's still pain, there's still yeah. recovery. Yeah, you can. You can end up with chronic pain. Um, and my own um, situation after my eighth surgery, which was very successful in reducing my pain down by about 90%, um, I'm left with um, permanent nerve damage and chronic pain as a result. Mm. Now, it's, you know, infinitely um, better and I can cope a lot better Like I've had all my endometriosis removed. But the damage is there from the 30 odd years where the disease was left in place and the multiple surgeries prior to that. Mm. So you've got the damage from chronic pain and you've also got the damage to like, again, to ovarian tissue. Some women go into premature ovarian failure if their ovaries have been damaged. I want to talk to you about a thing called Colleen AI, which is a fascinating project. But uh, Below the Belt is at the IFI Cinema in Dublin on Thursday, October 6th. Is there any opportunity or will there be any opportunity, Kathleen, to see it on a more broader platform? We're hopeful. Um, Shannon, the um, director and producer um, of the film, is in negotiations at the moment and we're hoping that it will reach um, a widespread platform, that it'll be accessible to everybody. It, it's, it's not um, what am I call it? Uh, it, uh, it's not an accident, I would suggest, that it's made to exactly broadcast our length. So it could hit television. It's 
Exactly. And there are a number of different cuts. We're very fortunate we're getting the, the international version for Ireland. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been made very specific. Shannon and the team involved have a lot of um, TV experience, um, National Geographic and some other very major channels like that as well. So we're hopeful that um, somebody will pick up the pitch. Talk to me about Colleen AI. I'd never heard of it until I watched a fascinating video this morning funded by Science Foundation Ireland and a very exciting project. Very exciting project indeed. Um, I was approached by Dr. Siobhan Kelleher um, a number of years back um, about becoming involved in this project as the patient and public representative and um, to see what we could do in terms of reducing the diagnostic delay. So as I said, like in in Ireland, it's an average of nine years. Um, And if we look at the worldwide average, you know, that's seven years and seven different doctors on average that people go to see. So Siobhan um, and her team have come up with um, a novel biomarker, um, combining that then with the patient's symptoms and using AI as an algorithm then to actually help give a very positive um, prognostic and a very strong likelihood if the patient has endometriosis or not. So we're hoping to reduce the diagnostic delay from like the, the average, the long average that it is, right down to three months and one doctor's visit. So as part of the SFI project, we didn't win the main prize. We came very close um, and um, Dr. Heller and her team at the moment are actively searching for funding and we're hoping that this can continue because as an Irish project, it's absolutely huge. But as something for those living with endometriosis and certainly going into the future, this will be absolutely life changing. And I hope it's it's a game changer, Kathleen. Huge. Yeah. And I hope that, like, I'm I'm an advocate for 20-odd years living with this condition, 30-odd years, and I hope that the people who follow me um, in this role will not be talking to women who've had to wait nine or ten years for a diagnosis. They'll have, have had their diagnosis in three months. So I think this would be absolutely fantastic. Um, like everything in medical research, it takes time. But the real key with um, Colleen AI and some of the other projects that are going on at the moment is patient involvement. Um, we've seen research in endometriosis where patients have not been involved And they're off looking at things like how attractive women are or how big their breast size is in relation to living with endometriosis. Mm. And thankfully, that study had been withdrawn due to complaints. So when you don't involve patients, you don't necessarily go down the right track. And this is this is quite good about this research um, involving patients from the beginning with focus groups and talking to them about their symptoms. You can actually fine tune the research and make something that's actually useful and usable and practical as well for patients. Kathleen, look forward to it eventually seeing uh, below the belt as you said as we said it's it's no coincidence it's been made in, in a broadcast hour so hopefully a television at some point will pick it up and maybe a, a broader cinema distribution as well showing at the IFI Thursday October 6th thank you Kathleen King uh, organizing that film premiere in Dublin the film produced executive produced by Hillary Rodham Clinton I did not know that Hillary Clinton herself uh, had suffered from endometriosis for as long as she had. Thank you. 0818969696. Uh, we have covered, as you know, Onakura in uh, constant detail for well over a year now. And I saw in the newspaper yesterday where the HSE discussed the sale of Onakura two years before the residents had been told it was going to close. This is more work 
by Councillor Liam Quaid and Keenan Brennan writing in the Examiner, more digging by Councillor Liam Quaid is found more documents and maybe the question will eventually be asked about Onakura, what is really going on there. But down in West Cork they're also concerned about a, a cutback of a, of a different kind and that's the reduction of mental health capacity at Bantry Hospital. Uh, the, lo- the local N2 rep down there is Becky Keeley. Becky, morning. Hi PJ, how are you? Good. Now this is a, a different kind of a of, of a cut, but they're cutting the number of beds at Bantry Hospital, mental health beds at Bantry Hospital. Yeah, well I suppose news broke there in the last week um, on social media that there was going to be this reduction in beds at the mental health facility in Bantry. And I'm the N2 rep for Cork Northwest, and although Bantry isn't in my constituency, I've been hearing from an awful lot of concerned constituents that actually use this facility themselves or they might have loved ones that use it. Mm. Um, They're very worried, obviously, about the future of the services down there. Um, You know, people are asking me, what can I do about it? Um, And they're just really um, concerned for their loved ones. And there was one man in particular... Um, he said he wanted to actually meet me because he wanted to speak out publicly on the matter. Um, so we met and I interviewed him and that interview is actually available on my Facebook page if anyone wants to watch it. Uh, we've called the man Noel and we actually blurred out his face and we altered his voice as well so that um, he won't be recognised yeah. um, in order to preserve the identity and the dignity of his brother. So he speaks about his brother um, and his mental illness. Uh, Noel tells us uh, how his family would be absolutely lost without Bantry services. He uh, recounts nights where his brother might go missing. Um, he's he could be suicidal. He could be just in a real crisis. Yeah. And so, sorry, then, Becky, I meant to ask: Are these residential beds, or are they um, sort of come and go beds? Are, are people? They seem to be a mixture of both. Now, in Manol's family situation, um, like when his brother is experiencing, um, you know, a crisis and his whole family needs help, they're able to ring Bantry and actually bring his brother in. Um, now, whether it's they drive him or it's by ambulance or whatever way it is, but they're there and they meet him at the door and they take the brother in. And he was very angry uh, when he heard about this reduction in beds. So there's 18 beds in the facility and they're talking about reducing uh, those down to 11, which is a very dangerous move. Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally putting people's lives at risk. I mean, this threat, it's a real threat because it is the threat, it's a threat to the likes of Noel's brother's life. I see. When in the middle of the night, and that's what he was describing to me, and I was actually, it was very emotional and I suppose people don't realise um, what families go through in these kind of circumstances unless they've been through it themselves know, or I they know. know. I know. But yeah. what, I, what I wanted to get to in all of this, PJ, is I looked at the Mental Health Commission's website. This is public. You can Google it. And I found that the facility in Bantry has actually been non-compliant in areas concerning the premises since 2017. So um, there's a screenshot of that up on my Facebook page as well where you can actually see the ticks for the areas where they were compliant and the red X's marking the areas where they were non-compliant. And I found that that's actually why the bed count now 
is being called into question. Bring it back into compliance right. so that all of the beds are kept. Thank you for that, Becky. Out of time, no other reason. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. There's a question has come in. God, I'd nearly forgotten about it myself. <laughs> Whatever happened to the event centre? You never hear much talk of it now. Yeah. Lest said, soonest mended probably. Well, if you're to believe what you're told, it will go ahead. It will go ahead. I was talking to someone across the summer um, saying if they'd actually gone and done and put it down by the where the marquee is, if they'd gone and put it down there and built it down on the docklands there, say, they open and holding events now. But of course, no, had to be in the city centre and, oh God, I don't even go there. Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp is 083. 396-9696, your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. That, of course, is the best way to contact us out of hours. In other words, if you're not listening to us live, if you listen to our podcasts, and we put up about 30 podcasts a week, including the full show every day, or if you listen to our overnight condensed version of the show between 3 and 5 a.m., then the best way to... Uh, Contact us out of ours is opinion at 96fm.ie. The Fianna Fall Think In. I used to go to these things September after September, and you'd go around, you'd do Fianna Fall and Fianna Gael, and you'd run around the country for a week as they prepared for the return of the doll. Uh, they're in uh, Mullingar. Is it Mullingar? It is Mullingar. Daniel McConnell is their political editor of the Irish Examiner. It, it, it is Mullingar, isn't it? That, that, that they're there for this couple of days. Yeah, reporting live, reporting <laughs> live in the Mullingar Park Hotel, PJ. I'm, I'm sure it's a career highlight for you, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, I used to go to these things for years, so, so I know th- I know what they're, they're all about. But this morning, Michal Martin has told News Talk that he will still be. Fianna Fáil leader after the next election. Most commentators, I think, feel that this government will see its full term out once they change the, the, the guard at Christmas time. Do you think he'll still be leader at the next election, Daniel? Probably not. I think, what he, I think, you know, realistically, as leader, the minute he says he's not going to be leader come the next election, the clock is ticking and the power will just eke away. Look what happened to Enda Kenny. The minute he, he kind of said, listen, he won't leave Fine Gael until the following election, the power just began to seep away from him immediately. And then you had that contest between Simon Coveney and Leo Varadkar kicking off. It was very destabilising. And any any leader... Look what happened to Tony Blair as well. Like he, he put a time scale on his own departure and yeah. that just, just caused chaos between himself and Gordon Brown. And you said you have a kind of rival leaderships kind of emerging, all that kind of stuff. So Michal Martin was essentially saying what he has to say. I think I think you know what he's won the battle was because if we were talking about this a year ago, there was a doubt that he would even make the transition to the Tornish's office. Now that will now happen. I don't get the sense that there's anyone now looking to heave him before that, that uh, changeover in December. The question then is, well, what position does he then take as Tornish what ministry does he take and what form will the reshuffle 
uh, thereafter happen. And, and obviously what we've seen now and playing out yesterday and again this morning is this row between Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil as to who would be finance minister Pascal Donoghue as chair of the Eurogroup uh, uh, you know wants to stay in that position and Fine Gael are sort of making the play that to, for him to stay in that role that European role that very important role as they would see it that he has to stay in the, the finance ministry whereas Fianna Fáil are adamant and Michal Martin was clear about this this morning that you know the, the whole cohesion of the government is, is based upon the agreement made in 2020 mm. that if one party holds the Taoiseach's office the other party yeah, and that the, the Ministry for Finance. So, the, the expect- you know, is, is it fair to say that the expectation? The Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Daniel, your line is dropping in. Is it fair to say that the expectation would be that Michael McGrath and 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 um, oh God, the name's got out of my head now. You know what I mean? Pascal Donahue. Pascal Donahue would would literally just swap offices. Is that it? Yeah, I mean that's. That was a working assumption, but there's obviously there's this talk because Pascal Donoghue has been in finance or one of two of the finance ministries since 2017. He's there a long time. There is a suggestion that he could move elsewhere, like to foreign affairs or somewhere else, but that would necessitate a wider reshuffle. And we're kind of we're in the sort of speculative space of you know they don't really want a wide reshuffle because they can be very destabilising. You end up annoying an awful lot of people, so you try and keep it as as kind of minimalist as possible. But therefore, does Pascal who really want to go back into that role that he's already done, i.e. being the spending minister? He may have to or may want to if he wants to keep that Eurogroup um, position. Mm. There's also a kind of a rival school of thought that, you know, Michal Martin, who's never been a finance ministry or minister, could end up wanting to maybe take that role for himself and maybe mm. put Michael McGrath elsewhere for, 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 for a while. So there's all this sort of talk and speculation going on but ultimately um, you know that there, there, there is that sort of belief you know if you're going to do it as cleanly as possible you literally swap Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue over and then you know try and convince the European colleagues that he is essentially still in a finance ministry and he should be able to keep that, that, that president of the Eurogroup role Mike seem a, a stupid thing to, to suggest Daniel but would these little things not have been sorted out in 2020 when they were putting a government together well you see the difficulty with this is there were were plenty of things written down in terms of how this thing would work what wasn't written down was this kind of parity of esteem or the working mechanics of well when the changeover happens you'll go here and we'll go here none of that was agreed because I think what they wanted to do was leave the door open and make that decision and have those sort of uh, discussions in the run-in now between now and Christmas. Michael McGrath speaking to us last night was very clear. He said, listen, now is not the time to be talking about this either through the media or publicly and made it very clear that like, no one in Fine Gael has come and asked Fianna Fáil about Pascal Donoghue staying in that finance ministry. So it was a very much a tacit sort of warning to Leo Varadkar, stop your play acting, stop the gamesmanship. There's important work to be done in terms of getting a budget through then we can discuss around the mechanics and the logistics of, of the changeover. But you, like, I suppose given the uh, unprecedented nature of this government and, and the sort of the, the I suppose the, the tension around the, the, the formation of the government at the, at the time, they probably thought, listen, let's deal with that hurdle first in 2020 and these sort of things can look after themselves down the line. But I think there could very well be a price to pay for not having this stuff more, more, more clearly defined yeah. you know, when we get to that closer to the changeover point in December. Yeah, it, it it won't it won't bring the government down, but it could get sticky. You you made the point that Michal Martin said what he needs to say this morning, but is there Daniel uh, uh, an heir or an heiress apparent? 
There's not an obvious one. I mean, obviously, in the earlier days of this government, a lot of people were talking about Jim O'Callaghan. Now, he cannot be fully discounted. The only problem about Jim O'Callaghan's candidacy is he's not in cabinet. And the tradition in these sort of things is that, you know, people will like to coalesce against a new leader or an aspirant leader. And that that person tends to be either a deputy leader or a minister. Minister of Finance or a senior cabinet minister, they tend not to be on the back benches because you obviously have a natural authority by being in government. And that goes against Jim O'Callaghan's candidacy. Obviously, a lot of people are also talking about Michael McGrath as a potential leader. Mm. And I think, given their, the previous tensions between the McGrath and the Martin camps, I do kind of get the sense that there is some tacit understanding agreement or even a, a, a desire that if and when the torch is to be passed, that McGrath is, is now the sort of the, the desired choice for a kind of a continuation of, of the mode of Fianna Fáil as it currently is um, there isn't an obvious sort of you know like as I said uh, alluded to earlier like you know in, in Fine Gael you obviously there was always that kind of two horse race between Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney you know the two heir apparent mm. you know and they jostled it out ultimately uh, there were a couple of others who, who sort of you know pretended that they were interested in the job like Simon Harris for about a week and a half, but ultimately it came down to those two. Um, that there isn't that sort of same kind of jockeying for position. I mean, Dara Bryan is someone who has sort of flirted with the idea of being leader, and certainly he's known to harbour leadership ambitions. I just don't know from yeah. my own canvassing of the party whether or not he has the the, the you know the sufficient support to, to yeah. kind of lead or, or, or launch a leadership ambition. Yeah. So it's very much, it's not as clear cut as it say, would have been in Fine Gael. Um, but I think the closer we get to that end point of Micheál Martin's tenure, I think you might start seeing yeah. that the kind of jockeying for position becoming more overt. Lastly, uh, before we go to any of that, there's a budget two weeks today. We're being promised the sun, moon and stars. Simon Coveney promising on Sunday it'll be a budget like no other. Daniel, what are you hearing? Will most people be satisfied on the 28th of September that something is being done for them in the, in the face of an energy crisis? I certainly think what you're seeing going to see is an unprecedented package, both between the budget for next year, the 2023 budget of about 6.7 billion, and this additional kind of package of measures of once-off, you know, uh, things like energy credits and and so on and so forth. So, so pretty much every family in the country will see some benefit. It will never be enough to satisfy everybody because, as as the the government have made clear repeatedly, like they can't do enough to insulate fully from the impact of the cost of living crisis. But what they are looking at doing is significant interventions that will make a difference uh, on a number of fronts. But be it energy, going to school, going back to college, health costs, etc., like that they are looking to make a substantial dent and, and sort of take the edge off people and essentially prevent people from going into poverty, having to make that choice between heating their homes or feeding themselves or being able to uh, fuel the car etc like that um, so there are, there are a lot of kites being flown expectations are certainly kind of running uh, oh, you know, people are kind of running away with themselves in terms of what, what is potentially possible we're now looking at an additional kind of fund of about 3 billion in once off measures so you're likely to see a number of energy credits so we had the 200 euro credit earlier this year and, and last year we're likely to see a number of those over right. the winter period as, as opposed to an energy cap you're looking at you know reductions in childcare costs as we're reporting this morning you're looking at kind of multiple um, or kind of a doubling up of the child benefit payments at some points you're looking at kind of a double Christmas bonus, welfare payment for all welfare recipients. So all of these are, are big measures which yeah. will cost an awful lot of money. Um, and then you're obviously looking at kind of you know reducing medical fees. You're looking at, at issues like, as I said, reducing the cost of going to college, etc. Like that. So all of these things in the round in isolation may not seem awful lot, but when you put them all together, the government's hope is 
that people will see a notable difference in in their cost. But you know, I was listening to one hotelier this morning saying saying his his gas bill has yep. gone from twelve thousand a month to thirty three thousand, and is likely to go up even further. So you know, there are very very real costs um, being being confronted. Uh, and and while while the amount of money being put forward is substantial without quite like you're talking a package all, all in all of almost 10 billion to be unleashed on budget that's huge by any stretch of the imagination um, there will always be people who say okay. that it, it won't go far enough we'll have to wait and see what does come out Daniel thank you Daniel McConnell political editor of the Irish Examiner joining us from Mullingar where Fianna Fáil are having their September think in 0818969696 the clapping on the plane Moira you've Hi, done it have you? How are you? Pardon? You've done this. You've clapped on the plane. Well, I suppose not so much that I've done it, but like over the years I've observed, you know, it never happened before. I think it started really with, um, you know, the Celtic Tiger, um, Ryanair cheap flights. I think there was a bigger cross-section of people travelling. Yeah. And prior to that, you'd have the executives flying over to London back on the day. They're not going to clap when they land. They just have their briefcase and they're gone. So you have the element of, you know, the ordinary, nice car people, north side, south side on the plane and when they land they're so delighted they're all clapping but when we were in France prior to that ever we had an internal flight from Marseille to Toulouse and it was exactly the same and it was only myself my husband my friend and her husband and our three kids and like it was predominantly French yeah. but they all started singing clapping and lovely pleasantries en français to the pilot for landing them so I don't know if it's a cork thing I think it goes along the lines of I remember years ago Prior 9-11, myself and my friend were travelling and these cop women all got on the plane, feel old ones, and they came on the were young at the time. And it was you could see the pilot inside in the cockpit before we took off, whatever. Mm-hmm. And your woman up, she went and she goes, hello, boy, how are you? I'll talk to him. And your one says to him, don't be chatting to him, no distracting him, leave him concentrating on his driving. You know, <laughs> that's kind of... That's exactly what she said. So I think kind of runs along the lines of that kind of grover, cock thing, you know, I, I think anyway, that's what it is, you know. Yeah. That's, that's my interpretation of it. I think it's a lovely thing and I think it's just relief and I think it probably is compounded by the fact that we were all nervous after yeah. 9-11 travelling too. I think people were so glad to land, mm. I think. So I think yeah. there's a lot of things contributed to it, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Take it. Yeah. Moira, do you, do you thank someone when you're getting, do you thank the driver when you're getting off the bus? Yeah, I, do you know, I do, I think. I think I do. I've travelled a lot, I've walked away a lot and if I do see the driver you know, I'd either wave to them, like in London, they wouldn't even answer you, but, you know, a big city's Paris, but, like, you'd put your hand up and say thanks, and they'd nod, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. and I suppose well, I would, really, I'll be honest with you. And I suppose years ago, I mean, years ago, I from the north side myself, I mean, the number two bus would be going up up to Guana Braher. I mean, there'd be a string of young ones around the bus, men inside in the, the box, sitting down chatting to them, you know? <laughs> it's true. That, that, used, that used to happen. It's There's true. There's a girl, you could say, you're and they'd right. be weak. They'd be weak, but the boss meant, oh, oh, the good-looking fellas coming on today, <laughs> and they'd all be up to that little area where he's sitting. He would be covered in, and of course they'd probably get a free, free ride up the road then as well. But they would be sitting up there chatting to them. That's right, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, uh, and, and the bus, the, the bus conductors as well. If there was a good-looking bus conductor, yeah. Well, yeah, they'd all be saying, we won't get on this bus, we wait for the next one, because that's, that's the horrible fellow, you know, we won't have it. But they'd sit on the little little place where your man would be driving the bus, mm-hmm. and they like, wouldn't be expecting a hello goodbye to be, how are you, and all this swooning, and, and your man would be driving away, chatting away, going up to Grand Bravo, and 
That was the good old days, like the bus. That was a long time before the sticker well, said, no, Hobber, let's into my knee. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the thing about yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, Hobber, let's into my knee is right. But like the thing about this as well as the buses were packed then as well, it was probably the main form of transport. True. You know, I mean, True. you know, I mean, the buses are empty. You know, we all drive our cars or whatever, you know, or we're trying to walk because we have too much, le- too little exercise or whatever. But yeah, it was a different, it was a different world then too. Like, uh-huh. But I think, it's a kind of a corkish thing, more even so than Dublin, I feel anyway, you know? Yeah, I think that. You might you might be right there. Moira, thank you. Uh, lovely call. 0818-969696. Clapping on the plane when the plane lands. I, I have to say, I want to crawl in under the seat. I, I do, but there's Moira with a fairly good explanation of it. I was on a plane one time, which was a private plane. No, it was a privately chartered plane for a rugby match. And I won't say what team were involved, but we went to a rugby match, small plane, and the match was won by the team who were travelling, and I'm not going to identify the team. <laughs> and on the way back, some of the old alakadoos had had a few bevies, shall we say. Uh, quite a few bevies, actually. Um and that was fine. You know, that's what you do when you go to a rubber match, you have a few bevies afterwards. <laughs> but the plane started its descent into Cork Airport. And we were told on the public address, the plane is now starting its descent into Cork Airport, please. Please fasten your seatbelt and put up your table and all this kind of thing. This fella gets up with a hat, a woolly hat, for it was winter time. He got up with a woolly hat and started swaying precariously down between the seats of the plane. Will you sit down? No, no, we got a collection for the driver. I was there, I saw it. All the stars on one show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is George Ezra. What's up, y'all? I'm Beyonce. Hi, this is Harry Styles. Hi, I'm Lizzo. Hi, Ed Sheeran here. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8 on Cork's 96FM. Remind me before we pack it in today to get your thoughts on something that's been in the news the last couple of days about inheritance tax. I just want to go through it for a second to see what you think. Um, but first of all, let us go to Diane McGee. Uh, Bewley's Big Coffee Morning coming up again on the 22nd of September. And of course, it's in aid of the hospice movement. Diane McGee joins me. Hi, Diane. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This has gone on for a while. Of course, COVID put paid to it for a year or two, but it's back in full effect this year. It's back. It's the biggest annual fundraiser for hospice and we're so excited to have it back and it's definitely back with a bang um, to celebrate the 30th anniversary with our hosts, which is amazing. 30 years. 30 years, yeah, absolutely, 30 years. Yeah, 2022 marks the 30th anniversary since the campaign was launched, which is, which is, which is it's fantastic, isn't it? And it's raised an incredible amount of money. A staggering, I believe it's 41.5 million um, has been raised to support frontline families across across Ireland, which is a, a true testament to the campaign itself. Um, and we're very lucky to, and very proud, I suppose, to have Bewley's as a sponsor um, of the campaign since 1992. Mm. And what does the money get used for, Diane? Well, I suppose um, we, we significantly rely on fundraising to be able to, to deliver a quantum of services. Um, and, and I suppose to go through some of the services, 
Patricia, we could be here all day, but I suppose a few of them would be the inpatient specialist palliative care, the community-based palliative care, our bereavement support services, um, our pastoral care, our social work and, and, and family supports, our physiotherapy, um, our services for the older persons, um, including, I suppose, our, the long-term and our, and our respite facilities. But, but there's a few things um, that we could mention. But yeah, Marymount definitely needs to raise three 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 million each year um, in order to sustain our current level of services um, and every donation, I suppose, um, that's raised in every euro stows, stays locally, um, that's raised yeah. locally. So it really makes a, tr- a real difference. And anybody think. who wants to can organise an event. How do they go about that? Absolutely. So they can call myself here, Diane McGee, our Mary Brady in the fundraising office. Um, and the phone number is 0214 um, and they can speak to us or they can register on uh, ie. Um, so when they get through to us, we can organise posters, coin boxes, tent cards, um, all the kind of material merchandise as such. But also then Bewley's have been fantastic and they're an incredible partnership. Um, they have given us um, Bewley's coffee, instant coffee jars, and we have um, a beautiful aroma here now in the fundraising office of their mm. medium strength coffee. And we have tea bags and we have coffee cups so we can get a full pack ready and whether it's one jar or whether it's five or six um, mm. packets you need we'll, we'll be more than happy to facilitate whatever the person's or the company's needs are. Diane, okay. does, does it ever cease to be a source of amazement to people like yourself just how loved Marymount is among the families of Cork? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, from being Cork, from from living in Cork all my forty four years, it, it it never ceases to amaze me. Um, I suppose we're stronger than ever, and it speaks volume of the care and the compassion um, of the valued local service Mary Monk does give to the community um, and the Cork community. And um, no, it's 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 a fabulous service. And I suppose for me, it's always more than a, a hospital and a hospice. Mm. Um, we're very, you know, we're very grateful. And it's actually my I, I love working here. It's an absolute pleasure. Do you know what it is my my, my pleasure? But if anybody wants to organise a coffee morning to help Mary Mount, because all of the money raised stays local. So Absolutely. Cork stuff stays in Cork, Kerry stays in Kerry, but Cork yep. stuff goes to Marymount and stays in Cork for Marymount. Yep. So if anybody yep. wants to organise a coffee morning event, where do they start? They can start, just as I said, by calling the fundraising office. They can go online um, um, to the hospicecoffeemorning.ie Um when they, you know, some people, I was talking to a lovely lady the other day and that's one of the joys of my job is that we get to talk to, we have a lovely lady um, from Mitchellstown and she, it's her 28 year hosting and the traditions are being passed down maybe from, you know, mother to grandchild and they're carrying on what their, what their, that their late grandparents would have started and, um, they, it can be a small gathering of maybe, um, you know, three or four. It could be, you know, 10 or 15, obviously all COVID friendly. But uh, I suppose the one thing, you know, if people can't do it on the 22nd of September, uh, if that date doesn't suit, they can host it any time, morning, noon or night, at any time that suits you. And uh, I, know, I know some people there during COVID, they did a Zoom uh, espresso martini lights and all that. So there's a variety of ways of doing it. Um, but honestly, you please feel free to call us and we'll only be happy to guide you through every step on how to how to participate. Okay, Diane McGee from Marymount, thank you very much.
much. Bewley's Hospice Coffee Morning, September 22nd in aid of hospices around the country, but here in Cork in aid of Marymount. 0818 96 96 96. Let me come to this thing. It was in the news last couple of days. There's a, a body called the Commission on Taxation and Welfare. And every so often they bring out reports and recommendations and lists of things that it thinks the government should do. And the government doesn't necessarily follow it to the letter, but here's one of the things that it has suggested the government does now. It has suggested that the government slash the amount of money that you were entitled to inherit from your parents before you have to pay tax. So at the moment, if you inherit something from your parents, be it a house or be it actual cash money, you can inherit up to €335,000 from your parents until you have to pay tax. It used to be a lot more than that, but cut back in 2009. Now, the Commission on Taxation and Welfare is suggesting that you cut it again. Now, if you give money to anybody else, there's a tax implication much, much lower. But I don't know about you, but I'm just going to throw this out there. So, I have children and when I'm not here anymore and when Queen Bee isn't here anymore we would like our children to have everything divided between them. Everything. And the thought that my children would have to pay tax on money or assets that I'd already paid tax on in my working life is obscene. I don't think you should be charged your children should never have to pay tax. Now, your brother, your sister, your auntie, your uncle, your nana, your cousin, your friend, that's different. But your own children having to pay tax on something you leave them. In my mind anyway, maybe I'm wrong, it's an obscenity. An absolute obscenity. Your thoughts? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. A lot of sick birds. Uh, pictures being put up, very upsetting pictures being put up of sick birds and there would seem to be a problem with avian flu uh, here in Cork uh, and around the country. Niall Hatch with Birdwatch Ireland joins me. Niall, morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. We have a problem, do we, with avian flu? We certainly seem to, yes. Uh, in Birdwatch Ireland over the last um, last couple of weeks, actually, we've been getting an increasing number of reports of dead and dying seabirds uh, turning up on, on Irish beaches and also being found some distance inland as well, which is very unusual, um, especially if the species that's most affected is a bird called the gannet, which yeah. is the, the largest breeding seabird in Ireland. It's a, it's a, bird, a bird that has a, a wingspan of, of six feet, so a very substantial bird. And uh, unprecedented numbers of these are being found washed up dead on coast or indeed turning up in people's gardens and car parks and along roads inland somehow disorientated and it seems that that uh, avian flu is almost certain certainly the culprit uh, given that we know that some birds that have been tested by the department of agriculture have tested positive for this and also we know that um, populations of gannets and other seabirds were absolutely decimated throughout the summer in places like the uk and elsewhere in europe so yes it is certainly very concerning yeah because you never see a gannet inland they're beautiful creatures but then they never come inland but the is it disorientation is bringing them in you said 
Uh, that, 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 that's certainly what it seems to be. It's very, it's very hard to know exactly what's happening, but it does seem that uh, this, this disease is causing some of these birds when they're, when, they're, when they're feeling unwell to leave the sea, to head inland and behave in this very strange strange way. And then, of course, they're more likely then to come into contact with uh, with humans, with pets, with domestic poultry as well, which which would be a concern. But then also, of course, um, the more of these birds that are washing up on, on beaches and so on with the carcasses not being collected or anything like that, the more likely it is that they'll be scavenged by other creatures and it's more likely that the disease could spread. So mm. um, we're certainly um, we're certainly worried about that. We are we are urging people, obviously, when, when they when they do see dead or, or especially dying or injured uh, seabirds like this, to resist the urge to try and help them. A lot of a lot of us are in natural instinct would be to try and help them and to assist them with those birds. We're asking people not to do that hard though. That is because um, although the the risk of, of transference of this disease to humans is is very low, there is still a risk there, and we obviously don't want that to happen. So unfortunately, we're asking people to leave them where they are. But please to report them to the Department of Agriculture, mm. and they have a special um, avian check. Uh, web portal on their website where people can report any sightings of, of, of dead and dying birds mm-hmm. uh, and it'd be very good for that and for them to keep track of that um, but we're also, we'd also like to know more about what the department is doing with that data, what level of testing is happening and how, how widespread the problem actually is You said you can get into poultry and into domestic uh, bird species can it affect humans now? Um, so, so there has not, hasn't been a case of that uh, with, with this current outbreak here in Ireland, but we do know that from um, from previous outbreaks of avian flu elsewhere in the world that yes, in, in, in certain circumstances it can infect humans uh, and um, the fear with something like this would be that um, as, as seems to have happened with COVID, that the disease could pass from, from birds into into humans and, and therefore then they become a human disease that would spread between humans. Now, I don't want to alarm anybody, the, the, the chance of that are, are, are very low, um, but there is still a concern there uh, and obviously the more of these carcasses that are left lying around, the more um, that have been collected, the, the higher the risk of that transference would be. Yeah. I'd say there's a higher risk of transference to domestic poultry because obviously yeah. being birds, they're much more likely to be susceptible to this virus. Yeah. We know that um, in previous outbreaks, um, certainly um, geese, in wild geese in Ireland have been very badly affected um, as well as ducks. So domestic domestic poultry could be at risk. And that's the main reason we believe why, why the Department of Agriculture is the, is the body that takes the lead on this. We'd certainly like to know more about um, how, to what degree they're liaising with the National Parks and Wildlife Service because in Birdwatch Ireland, obviously our, our remit as a charity and as an NGO is the conservation of wild birds. We're not experts when it comes to poultry. We certainly wouldn't purport to be experts when it comes to human health. But we are experts when it comes to wild birds mm. and we're also very concerned about their, their, their future. So we would like some answers there. Okay, and if it is a thing that someone comes across something, and like you said, again, it is a big, beautiful creature, a large bird. If you should come across one that is dead or dying, what should you do? So, the, the, so to resist the urge to touch it or take it away yourself, it's certainly um, you know when these we, we are calling for these carcasses to be removed, but um, they would require special training and people wearing proper PPE. So it's not something the members of the public should do. And the best thing to do is to report it. Uh, please, the Department of Agriculture. Again, if you look for for avian check um, on on the on, on the internet, you'll find it there. Or if you go to our own website, birdwatcherland.ie, you'll find a link on our homepage that takes you through to where that department um, monitoring portal is. So you can you can you can report your your sightings of these birds there. Excellent, Niall. Thank you, Niall Hatch, from Birdwatch Ireland. So there is a, an avian flu outbreak in the country. The fear is it would get into poultry and would destroy poultry flocks up and down the country and you know what happens then we don't get eggs and we don't get chicken and we don't get other such things uh, so do not and do not approach them yourself just if you happen to find a dead gannet and they're, god they're beautiful creatures huge flipping boards uh, if you happen to find one of them dead or dying just don't touch it just get in touch with Birdwatch Ireland and uh They'll put you through to who you need to know in the Department of Agriculture and they'll do everything else. 0818 96 
9696. I don't know whether you agree with me or not on inheritance tax. I was just throwing it out there. We got a statement uh, from HSE, <clears throat> from Cork Kerry Community Healthcare, with regard to the beds at Bantry Hospital, the mental health beds at Bantry Hospital. You remember I was talking to Becky Keeley before the 11 o'clock news. And they say, <clears throat> well, first of all, we had well done to Becky Keeley for raising the scandal in Bantry. The HSE are a failure for the people of Cork and everywhere else. But remember who's responsible for the HSE, the government we have, and the silence from the government TDs. That was a response to Becky. The HSE came back with, we are currently assessing the decision and the options available to address it. So a very brief statement effectively telling us they're aware of the situation and they are assessing it. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Just talking earlier on this morning about Section 39 workers and uh, they're thinking about, uh, they're going to take strike action, in fact, tomorrow week the 21st of September we had an email from Rebecca from FOSS uh, who said Section 39 staff are made up of a lot of providers of children's disability services so FOSS brought this up with the Taoiseach on Saturday when we met him. We urged him to ensure pay parity because nobody's going to continue to work alongside someone being paid more. He said we were naive in thinking it would be a simple fix that it would cost enormous amounts of money. And regards from Rebecca, thank you. Well, costly or not, there's going to be a strike on the 21st of September. 0818-969696. Now, on Friday, we had a very quick chat with Brian Gallagher ahead of his appearance at the Comedy Club at City Limits. And because of the death of the Queen on Thursday, our programme was all over the place on Friday. So we only got a couple of minutes with you, Brian. How did it go on Saturday, sir? Morning. My PJ, how are you? Great to be back. It was wonderful. Cork is always wonderful. City Limits is a great venue, so it was a lovely audience, a great crowd, and, and great fun all round. I was delighted to be back in Cork, to be honest. You like it down here. A lot of people do, and a lot of people oh, love that club. Yeah, it's a fantastic look. at Anybody who's anybody in comedy over the last, what, 20 years has been through that club, so it's nice to be able to headline it myself and say that I'm in the company of greats like Patrice O'Neill, Tommy Tiernan, all, 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 the, all the greats of world comedy. It's just such a great club, to be honest, and people come out and support it, which is fantastic, you yeah. know. You've got a great club there, and I think when you have something for so long in a city, you kind of you don't recognise how, how good it is compared to other cities. So you're really lucky to have it, to be honest. Yeah. It's great. I, I remember when it opened first, uh, Comedy Club, I kind of said, well, has Cork got the audience to support a comedy club? <laughs> but it has, very much so. Oh, it has, it has. I mean, look, people need a laugh uh, now more than ever, you know what I mean? So everybody loves to laugh, everybody loves good entertainment. So it, 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 does, it does, it's something different. I think. I don't think people go to comedy every week. I think people go to comedy maybe once a month, you know, yeah. and when you go, you're like, God, we have to do that again. We should do that again. It's one of those experiences that you you really leave elated and full of adrenaline and full of happy chemicals, you know, yeah. so it's, it's great. Native. Is it that someone will pick up, say, in your case, someone will pick up a clip on YouTube or get sh- someone will share something on TikTok or Insta and think, oh, cranky, he's funny. And then, oh, cranky, he's in the comedy. Does it work like that? Do uh, yeah, it, it does more and more these days, PJ. Like, I mean, I wouldn't have been huge in terms of online content. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty straight stand-up, but I, I, I was generating clips there over lockdown and stuff like that. And people do. It would surprise you. I was actually in 
Donegal, um, I was in Donegal in a coffee shop and somebody came up to me and said, oh, I saw you, on, I saw your clip on TikTok. I must come to your show if you're ever in Donegal. And I was like blown away, you know. Uh, so it's amazing. You don't, sometimes you don't think a lot of people are looking at stuff, but uh, they do and they take notice and you can build your own audience that way and people show up to gigs, which is great, you know, yeah. it's great. Because I'm based in Dublin, so I travel for gigs a lot as yeah. well and the UK and that kind of stuff and, and, and all over Ireland. So it's just nice to know that sometimes when you put stuff out there, it gets attention and people come to shows, which is brilliant, you know. You did the Edinburgh Fringe. Is that kind of the, one of the biggest comedy festivals in the world? I think technically it's the second biggest festival in the world and it's 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 madness, PJ. It's like there's thousands of shows on every day for a full month. So at the very beginning, you get all these enthusiastic, excited comedians like, you know, working on their shows, delivering their best stuff. And by the end, it's like a scene from The Walking Dead. You know, just comedians dragging their feet through the streets of Edinburgh, like willing it to end, but still having a great time all the same, you know. Yeah. It's uh, it's fantastic. It's uh, There's nothing quite like it. I love going. I've gone for three years now. You told me a story last week, and I only caught the half of it because we were rushed. You, you had a car crowd turned up in Edinburgh under <laughs> mad circumstances. Tell me that one again. <laughs> I had, well, the previous year, I had uh, this girl came to my show with her friend, and then she enjoyed the show so much, she came back the next night with more friends and the next night with more friends. And everybody was from Cork. So she was from Cork and all the friends she was bringing. I was saying, how many Cork people are living in Edinburgh? This is a bit crazy, you know. So all these people kept coming to the show from Cork. But then this year when I was there, um, the same show, that girl came back. And the previous year she had been with her boyfriend. And she was this, this year she was sitting at the front with a, a friend. And then at the back of the room, I recognized a guy and I couldn't remember why I recognized him. And he was on a date. And I was like, oh, you were here before. And he was like, uh, slinking into his chair going, uh, uh, maybe, maybe. And then she recognized his voice from the front and was looking down. And then it twigged with me that they were the couple from the previous year. But now he was on a date with one of her friends, which obviously she wasn't aware of. So, yeah, so we had four people with very sheepish-looking faces for the remainder of the show. I was uh, trying to make light of it, but I don't think she was too impressed, to be honest. How do you, it was how uh, do you resist, quite a coincidence. How do you resist <laughs> the urge not to get at least five minutes out of that on stage? Oh, I probably got six minutes, PJ, but then I dialed it back a bit. I didn't want to... Uh, <laughs> you don't want to ruin someone's day completely when this they're paying true. money to see you. you this know. Is it's, true, uh, <laughs> this is, come here. You know, the, heading into the cost of living crisis, as we, can, you, can you make fun out of something so serious that is bothering everybody day to day? I think you can make fun about anything, really, if your intention is, is pure. You know what I mean? If you're trying to be nasty, people are going to know that you're being nasty or mean. But if you're making light of a situation that everyone's going through, including myself, then I think people recognize that. I mean, God, even before the cost of living crisis, PJ, I, I went down an energy saving rabbit hole on YouTube and I, I started uh, trying to build these homemade heaters out of clay pots and tea lights and oven racks. You wouldn't believe it. I went down this rabbit hole, convinced my girlfriend this was going to save us a fortune. I had essentially a leaning tower of pizza in the living room with you know, tea lights and clay pots. It was absolutely ridiculous. And I ended up spending more money on tea lights and clay pots than I would have saved uh, uh, by turning off my radiators. So I think, you know, we all do silly things and you can make light of anything really, you know. Yeah, you should have yeah. seen it. It's unbelievable, do, do, honestly. I think it was seven trying, pots high at one point. I wouldn't recommend it. I'm trying to imagine it in my mind's eye and all I want to know is who was your dealer? <laughs> <laughs> you were clearly smoking something. <laughs> no comment, PJ, no comment. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we are all trying to save energy and we're all trying to kind of keep the the bills down which makes it hard then to afford to go out and get entertained but it's great that we do 
It, it is. Look, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I went, to, I drove to Cork for that for that gig in City Limits and I drove back again. And I think it was my first long journey in a while apart from city driving. And I was like, my God, fuel has really, really gone up. And I was just thinking about people who are commuting every day. It must be genuinely must be a killer. I mean, you know, there's no joke in that. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not easy. But I think at the end of the day, if you can, if we can all put a, a few quid aside, to keep comedians like me in food, that'd also be great, you know. <laughs> yeah, and clay pots by the sound of you. <laughs> and clay pots, yeah. what, what, And what whatever else goes it? with that, PJ. Did, I know. Did, I mean, I take it that you took them down and made plant pots out of them eventually, did you or something? I sense. did, eventually, yeah. Under under protest, when my girlfriend insisted. Uh, yeah, how did how did she take it when she walked in and see this thing in the front room when you goes, I'm saving energy, you what? <laughs> To be honest, PJ, I wish I could tell you that was the strangest thing she'd walked in to see. Um, you know, she's well used to uh, having an eccentric comedian wandering around the apartment doing strange things. So she just comes in, throws her eyes to heaven and puts on the kettle. I think that's kind of the only way you can deal with me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so when are, you, when are you likely to be back? Actually, I should be I should be back in City Limits before Christmas. But if anybody's interested, you can you can check out the comedyclub.ie, which is the City Limits website for all their upcoming gigs. They've got some great stuff coming. Chris Kent, Bernard Casey, and people like that. They've they've always got good shows. But I should be back before Christmas. And if anybody wants to follow me on my Instagram at Brian Galahad, um, you'll uh, you'll see all my upcoming Gala, why dates Galahad? there. Why Galahad? Because Galahad is such a common name, PJ. I couldn't get it on social media. Really? So I just called myself He's Brian got, Galahad. No, I might have been drinking a can of Galahad Lager at the time. That, I can't not remember. Do, not to do with cheap beer in Aldi, is it or something? Yeah, it, you know, look, a lot of things are, are to do with cheap beer in Aldi uh, <laughs> that I won't go into today. But <laughs> I was hoping that it just uh, Brian, listen, we'll see you the next time. Thanks very much, Brian Gallagher. A very successful night at the comedy club last weekend and back before Christmas. Brian Galahad on Instagram. And look out for towers made out of clay pots. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. PJ, just so people know, veterinary clinics are not allowed intervene or take in sick birds at present by order of the Department of Agriculture. It's a matter for the department only. That's important. If you happen to find a sick wild bird wandering around, do not bring them to the local vet because the local vet is not allowed to take them in because of the risk of avian flu contact either the Department of Ag or Boardwatch Ireland That's it for today, the programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we'll see you tomorrow just after 9 The Cork Diary On Cork's 96FM The Cork Diary is a free service so if you're a community group a not-for-profit organisation or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie The Cork Diary With Tusla Fostering Now seeking foster carers for short and long term emergency and respite fostering in Cork See fostering.ie On Cork's 96FM Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen, premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50-80% to less than similar brands Plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.